Hello, hello. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Club Cool Podcast. I'm your host, Barrett Dudley, here on a lovely Friday afternoon, although I can't see it because I am trapped in a closet, joined on the other video stream right across town. It's the one, the only, as always, Mr. Phil Battaglia. What's up, Philly? Hello. What's going on? Got another dope I have, cat. I have a window. How about that? Oh, must be nice. Um, yeah. I'm, uh, see, I care about the podcast, so I'm, I'm here getting the best acoustics I possibly can. <laughs> we appreciate that dedication. Yeah. yeah. Um, you got another, another, uh, you're repping, you're repping local today with that this Tom's Market hat. Another niche hat. Uh, yeah. Dude, how about these wings? My hair is fucked, man. I have dude, to be tucking it, it, in these wings. I, I, I'm I'm in need of a of a trim for sure. But today, Ooh. for whatever reason, today is just like it's out of control. It feels way too long. Um, it's just it's it's uh, you know, even in quarantine, there's good hair days and there's bad hair days. I tell you what. But mm-hmm. uh, speaking of Tom's Market, I popped in there. We picked up El Alma the other night, and I yeah. needed some limes, so I picked. Uh, I stopped in Tom's Market to grab some. I got some monster limes. They're yeah, just, they're huge. Mm-hmm. What's up? Mm-hmm. What's up with that? Um, they, they get supplies, you know, what do you, what do you, a week. What do you know about I, lime harvesting? <laughs> I don't know shit. <laughs> However, in one of these cocktail books that I read, um, the author is of the, the school of thought that rolling, you know, a lot of people roll the lime. Yes. Yes. It, she says that's bogus. It doesn't add anything to it. It doesn't make really? it juicier. No. Okay. Just an so, old wives tale, huh? I guess so. Well, we were, uh, we were using the limes to make on the rocks, margaritas, mm. margaritas. And, mm-hmm. um, because you've gotten me into, you know, this, this whole cocktail thing, I, I, I typically for a rocks margarita, I'm just pouring some tequila over ice. I'm grabbing my lime presser and I'm just squeezing lime juice in, adding a little triple sec. And like, I'm pretty much calling it a day. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. but I started thinking about the shaker and how margarita is actually, it's considered a shaken cocktail as opposed to a stirred cocktail. The difference being when you stir a cocktail, you want it to stay clear. You don't want the ice to dilute it. Ah. The ice is making it cold. Mm-hmm. But when you just stir the ice, it just makes it cold. It doesn't, tr- it doesn't, it doesn't transmit. When you shake that all up, the ice dilutes. It causes the, the liquid to become foggy. Mm. So you think about when you, when you get a rocks margarita, how it's kind of murky almost. Yeah. yeah. That's good. That's because it's typically been shaken up, but that's, the shaking actually causes like a legitimate chemical reaction, putting everything together and blending it with the ice in that shaker. And it really makes a much, much better and different tasting cocktail when you throw that, when you throw all those ingredients into a shaker and you shake it up. So they were, I got to work on my ratio a little bit for those rocks margaritas, but uh, it was another, another one for the books, man, on this, uh, on this cocktail mm-hmm. journey, journey that we're, um, that we're on. And, and another thing about shaking a cocktail that I like is it gets it really cold. Really ice cold. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I also grabbed uh, some some Haribo sour gummy bears from Tom's Market. Did you throw those in the Which, uh, Yeah. You just you just muddle. You muddle the couple of <laughs> those at the bottom. No, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But that is my favorite. That's my favorite non-chocolate candy. Is it? Yeah. I'm not a big candy guy. No. I like Just, now. That being said, I will health, I'll health go nut hard. Fill. Health no, nut fill over no, here. I will. <laughs> um, I will eat like some chocolate covered nuts. I love that, uh, and I'll go really hard on some ice cream. But I, I've never been into like sour gummies or any sort of like hard candy like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love a good dark chocolate almond. Don't get me wrong. That's that's uh, that's mm-hmm. up uh, that's up on my list too. Um. Anyway, it, this is the Club Cool Podcast. You know we're here at the intersection of style and pop culture. Um, Phil, you've not been engaging with the style and pop culture of The Last Dance. I can't get Ross to watch this either because he's busy watching Westworld on Sunday nights. I don't know what's going on because you two have to be the only the only people in the world not watching this documentary. We are going to talk about it regardless because... My goodness, it's just providing so much, so much fodder for this podcast. If this was on Netflix, I would have watched it already. Yeah. And it's not. And according to you, I have to download an app. You might have to. I mean, I've been watching it right on on my, on YouTube TV. Oh, well. But, uh. YouTube TV. But I think. That's too, it's too much. Put it on Netflix. Everybody will watch it. Well, it's going to be on Netflix eventually. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, because it's a, they co-produced. 
but so right but espn has first rights to it so i believe if you want to go catch up on it you gotta you gotta go through the espn app well i'm gonna attempt that because it is on demand but it's only episodes three and four on demand and gotcha gotcha so they're so on demand it's probably just the most recent two uh-huh. is what they're gonna do mm-hmm. anyways uh man it really is a a, a um you know, cross-pollination of style and pop culture. Episode three, especially, was the Dennis Rodman issue, uh, the issue, episode, Dennis Rodman <laughs> episode. And oh my God, Phil, uh, Dennis Rodman has always been one of my favorite NBA players of all time. Yeah. I, I'll tell you a little bit of a story about that. But I mean, this just, this just shone a spotlight on it and just refreshed everybody's memory as to what what a trailblazer this guy was, man! Like in 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 so many different ways. So um, we're going to talk about him, obviously. And uh, let's see. Then we are going to. I, it, this is a topic that that I've talked with some listeners about uh, occasionally via other means of communication, but I've never really talked a ton about it on the podcast because it's kind of boring. But I'm going to talk about it anyway because I've got kind of an anecdote about it. But we're going to talk a little supply chain little bit about what it means to manufacture things in different countries. Um, supply chains are interrupted right now. They are rapidly changing. Brands are trying to figure out what to do to be nimble and adapt. So it's kind of, it's, it's relevant for the moment. And, um, you know, I've got a relevant story about that. And then we'll do a little, little quick run of, of hyperheat. Um, one of what well, probably my, my front runner for the sneaker of the year. We'll talk about it. It's supposed to re- be releasing in the next couple of months. Um, and then uh, we'll talk about the, some, some loafer stuff as well. I know people are, are, are on the hunt for those, but first I want to give an exciting announcement. Ooh. We're going to have our first guest in a long time on the podcast, joining us remotely next week. We have the senior editor, Bilal Khan, of a blog to watch coming to join us next week. Great guy. We had a chat with him yesterday, getting ready for next week. He is going to be a fantastic guest, super knowledgeable about watches. Every time we put out a little thing on, a, on the, on the Instagram at club cool pod, asking for what you guys want to hear about on the podcast. Inevitably, inevitably, at least, at least several of you ask for more watch talk. Well, Phil, I think it's safe to say that you and I have spoken to watches about as much as we can at this point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, especially me. I, I'm I, I own one watch, so that's about as far as I can go. <laughs> so, so uh, it was time to bring in an expert. Bilal happens to be a, uh, a listener of the podcast, so we had connected um, through Instagram, and he's the senior editor of one of the most popular watch blogs in the world. Um, a blog to watch again. I mean, over 300,000 followers on Instagram. It's a verified account. They compete with like a, you know, they're, they're contemporaries with a uh, Hodinkee, which is another big watch blog that, that, uh, mm-hmm. that if you pay attention to that stuff, you may be familiar with, but for any of you watch heads out there. And then just for, for all of our listeners, I think it's going to be a really fun and um, insightful episode uh, just to get a little bit, a peek behind the curtain on the, uh, the world of, of, of watches. He has all the info um, from our preliminary interview with him. Uh, it was great learning. I mean, it's a learning experience for me, especially. Definitely. Um, and he's so, got a hell of a job. Great, great gig. <laughs> yes. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll definitely get to pepper him with some, some good questions next week. For the watch heads out there, if you have a question that you'd like us to ask, just hit us, hit us on the gram. Hit us on that grom. Hit us in the DMs. Tweet at us. <laughs> Whichever social media you want to utilize for that, um, we're happy to uh, to field some questions that, that you guys might have for him. Um, and we'll talk. We're going to talk everything from from direct to consumer watch brands like MVMT and Vincero, all the way up to uh, you know Patek uh, Patek Philippe's and and Richard Mills and all that crazy high end stuff too. So we will hopefully span a, a very wide range there for you guys. But I'm looking forward to that. So follow a blog to watch on Instagram, follow club cool pod at club cool pod on Instagram. And, uh, that's where you can, um, you know, get up to date on, on all the news and, and forthcoming events. So without further ado, Phil. Yeah. Let's talk about a last dance. 
the last dance specifically, not just a last dance, but the last dance. Episode three focused on Dennis Rodman. Had a little Phil Jackson in there too. So here's where we should start in the conversation about Rodman. This guy paved the way for not only modern day NBA athletes like Russell Westbrook or Kelly Oubre, as far as style, as far as personality, as far as being loud and brash and different and unapologetic. Um, he was, was, he was really one of the first ones walking down the hallways, just dressed to the nines in whatever fashion he saw appropriate. Mm -hmm. And, um, he, he was, he, he was the first, he was one of the first guys to be out there dating top, like a list celebrities. Mm -hmm. It's always incredible to remember that Dennis Rodman dated Madonna, like at her peak at her early nineties peak. It's wild, man. And, uh, and, and he followed that up with, by dating probably the most famous glamour model of the late nineties. She was probably on more covers of Maxim and FHM than anybody, than, <laughs> than, than the next three after her combined. But he, he, you know, he was dating Carmen Electra too. I mean, yeah. so he, he was just, he kind of like, he really set, he really like shaped the mold for what these current NBA guys could be as far as celebrity. Yeah. And you know, like I also, um, this is just re- referencing on the court style, but I don't know the guy's actual name, but Birdman that played it for the Nuggets for years. Chris Anderson. Um, uh, yeah. He kind of paved the way for guys like him to just, I mean, Birdman is uh, distinct with the amount of ink that that guy has, especially around the neck region, but he yep. is like, covered. And if you go back and look at, he played at Blaine College, apparently. Okay. And uh, just looking at him prior to any of the tattoos, <laughs> it's pretty funny. But it just, that guy, you know, Rodman was one of the first to to do, I mean, so many different things. One of which, dressing in drag whenever he saw fit, which yep. was great. And, um, you know, Birdman, that's, that's the thing. It'd be one thing if Rodman and guys like Birdman, these guys that are so uh, extroverted and, you know, love attention. It'd be one thing if they just were bench warmers and sucked, but these are both of them, especially Rodman, they're NBA champions, all-stars, some of the best at their positions. Um, so it's, 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 that's what makes it even better. I think the, that, that's another piece of the, of the Rodman story on the sports end that is, it's easily forgettable. You know, the, the, those, those early and mid nineties NBA teams, we were, we were pretty young for those too, too young to like yeah. really be paying hardcore attention to yeah. sports. By the time the late nineties in that, that second bulls three peat came around, um, we, you know, we were more, we were at that impressionable age where we were at the very least paying attention to that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Even if we, we weren't paying attention to the the nitty gritty details of the the front office manipulation and and the the ins and outs of the the players' lives. So w- watching back on something like the Last Dance, I, I always forget that 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 Dennis Rodman was a key component of the of the Bad Boys Detroit Pistons teams that won two championships mm-hmm. and were in fact the team and and were in fact that was in fact the team that Jordan in the early nineties bulls could not get by. Interesting. Yeah. Like, so the, in, in, uh, in, let's see, in, let's, uh, 89 and 90, mm-hmm. the bulls went out to the Pistons t- two years in a row in the playoffs. And that was a, that was the Rodman, Isaiah Thomas, bad boys, Pistons team. <laughs> I mean, he's forced to be reckoned with. It's not like he's some joke. That's what I love right, the most yes. about him. So, and, and he was, he was like changing the game as far as what it meant to be like a rebounder. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, he, he left his, he left his impact certainly on, on the, uh, on the game of basketball. But then uh, the, the lifestyle stuff is just incredible to watch. Um, you know, we can juxtapose this with the suits, the nineties giant um, <laughs> D- David Byrne talking head style suits yeah. that these guys were uh, were so keen on. 
those are relics of the era, right? We look back and we laugh on those. Rodman, on the other hand, is dressed like a 90s god in the type of in the type of thing that is making a comeback today. He is walking down the hall, the tunnel with like wraparound Oakleys on and then and he, he he's wearing this dad cap that just says bong on it. And he's totally on trend. Right he's now. wearing like leather shirt jackets, just like black yeah. leather shirt jackets that look awesome, like graphic tees, uh light washed denim. Like the dude is he was very clearly inspired by that kind of like Kurt Cobain, nineties grunge rock and roll 100%. stuff um, <clears throat> as, you know, d- hanging out with, with Carmen Electra and, and that ilk who was, who was tied to um, uh, Dave Navarro for, yeah. uh, for example, there, there's just this one, I'll, I'll post a picture uh, on the gram somewhere. I might even, might even made it a t- the title picture of this particular podcast. But he is, I think he's on some show, he's getting interviewed, and he's wearing like a backwards hat, white wraparound sunglasses, and a Pearl Jam tee. And I mean, it could very, very easily be an NBA player today. Great, yeah. I mean... It's just, it's so cool to see him in those in those 90s kits, and he's he just looks, <laughs> he looks so modern, it's awesome. And, you know, at the time, it was so far out there, but like right now, the, just talking about his hair, which is like his centerpiece is it was yes. always about the hair is I mean, frank ocean kanye yes all those guys that the have colored the, hair yep the colored short faded hair yes um i mean he was the pioneer for that and owned it it was great yeah, yeah and i mean who like i, I just recently have seen like pictures of chris brown yeah kid, chris kid, brown especially kid, kid cuddy with some electric yep. with uh, some electric crazy colors in his hair yeah i mean that's that's all rotten um that that piece of his style didn't evolve until he was traded from Detroit to San Antonio. Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of where he started to like gain notoriety for the the look and the fashion choices. And then by the time he got to the Bulls, he was really all in with the the changing hair color, you know, every week. Um nose rings, earrings, all the tats. So it's he he really he went on quite an evolution over the league, uh, over the, over his years in the league. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of going to spoil one of the most fun stories here for you. Phil. Damn it. Uh, I, I apologize. I, I'm not sure if this was common knowledge or whether it was kind of like a, a, a kept secret between guys in the league that knew. So this documentary is all about the 97, 98 season. Their, the, the season where they would get their second three-peat in a row. Mm-hmm. And Rodman was on this team. And he, at one point in the middle of the season, I think it was January, maybe February, can't remember. He basically goes to Coach Phil Jackson and says, I, I need a vacation. I got to take a break. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. And... Phil gets Mike to come in and and asks him what he thinks, basically. Like, yo, Dennis is going crazy. He needs to blow off some steam. We, we got to let him go on vacation. And uh, they decide that they can give him 48 hours. Oh, my God. And Jordan Jordan is sure that he's not going to come back in 48 hours. He's like, yeah. we can give it. We can, we can say that, but, but he's not going to come back. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they give him 48 hours to go blow off some steam and go on vacation. Whereupon Dennis Rodman gets straight in his car, drives to the airport and goes to Las Vegas where he, where he's hanging out with girlfriend, Carmen Electra. And he does not come back in 48 hours. He's gone for like six days on a Las Vegas bender, basically Uh (laughs) until Jordan has to go get him in Vegas. And this is the season where they end up winning. Yes. See, He's superhuman. <laughs> he can do this kind of shit, come back and go win a championship. He, he, dude, th- this is, he's such an old school player too. Like I, I, I know there are some crazy baseball stories of guys yeah. like Wade, Wade Boggs, like drinking like 35 Miller lights on plane rides home. <laughs> Rodman is constantly, he's always walking around with a can of Miller light after games, sometimes walks up to, walks up with one during practice. I love that. I there's, love a, it. There, there's a video of him in Las Vegas where he's like, he's got a headband, he's got a bandana tied around his head. He's got his shades on. 
and he is he's got like a leather jacket. He's drinking a Miller Lite, which by the way, it looks the can of Miller Lite looks like it's about four ounces because it's, he's so huge. Because his hands are so big. <laughs> Like, it looks like he's drinking a mini can of Miller Lite. Uh, anyway, he finishes his can of Miller Lite and hops right on his Harley Davidson and, like, yeah. drives away with a police escort. <laughs> <laughs> the 90s, man. The 90s. Like, they were so casual about just, like, drinking beers and jumping on motorcycles. Yeah. It's crazy. Was um, he on, like, but, a chopper? Remember those choppers were a big thing? Everybody was into those, like, West no, Coast? It, it, no, it was, like a, it, it was like a fat back Harley. Okay. So it was like like a cruising Harley. Mm. Very wide, very stable. Yeah. Um but yeah, man, it, it, it so you know, as as a young kid, 10, 11, 12 years old, I was a big Rodman fan. Which probably doesn't come as much of a surprise. <laughs> and I, I don't really I, you know, I can't my memories aren't clear enough to where I really remember like why I was such a big Rodman fan, but I think I just really liked, I loved the different hair colors. Um, I, I just thought he was like a unique and, and, and cool guy, I yeah. guess. And, and I don't think I was totally aware of like kind of all the other crazy stuff. Um, but I, so I, I was a big, I was a card collector. I collected basketball Same. cards. This was like one of my foremost hobbies. Me too. And there were two guys whose cards I collect. I mean, I collected full sets and, and, and everything, but two guys who like, whose cards I really, really collected every card of theirs, like went in a plastic sleeve back at home in Houston. I still have two shoe boxes, one yeah. for each of these guys filled <laughs> with their playing cards, a hundred each probably. And it's Rodman and Jordan. <laughs> and it's dude, just offload now, offload now, uh, dude, that's actually, that's, that's probably a, a a good call, actually. They're, they, they're probably not going to... Because the, the value of that stuff really cratered. And I so have it's, bad news. I watched a documentary recently about the, the card industry, baseball cards, mm-hmm. all, all every sport. And it follows... I'll make this real quick. It, it follows no, no, this no, kid... It's a good, good aside. Okay. Follows this kid who his dad, who he is estranged from, used to own a card shop, several card mm-hmm. shops that were like renowned in wherever the hell they were. I don't remember. Um, and so of course he has thousands and thousands of, of his dad's old cards and assumes as had, and had, had assumed all these years, I'm going to hold on to these and I'm going to sell them and we're going to make millions of dollars. So he goes around to like all the old vendors that his dad had worked with in the past. And they were like, you know, listen, man, this stuff is hardly worth anything. Yeah. And most of it's worth nothing, literally nothing. Yeah. And it's so depressing watching him go to those old card shows. Remember the card shows? Yes. So they apparently still have a few and there's like no one there. <laughs> there's like a few vendors and it's just the worst. I was hoping that at the end he would discover like, no way that was wrong. I was looking in the wrong place. He's a worth, you know, whatever, right. but they're not. <laughs> You know, it, 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 it's it's just another, you know, we talked about the suits being these these relics yeah. of the 90s, man. Co- collecting things in general yeah, was is very much like a pastime and a hobby that doesn't exist anymore. Right. You know, it's like the Beanie Babies thing as well. Yep. I still or, have or the- plenty of cards. And the only reason I'm hanging on to them is if one day I have a child... I think it would be fun because I always wanted my dad's old cards. And well, and it, it was know, probably be, something that you did. I mean, if you, if you were like me, it's probably something that you did kind of with your dad as well. Yeah, exactly. Of course, like he'd take you to the card shows or yep. to the card shops and, and 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 kind of engage in that in that experience with mm-hmm. you. Um, I, I mean, my dad and I, we would. There was one nearby in our in our neighborhood that that I frequented. Um, you know, once a week probably, and then when we'd be on trips, we'd like seek out the little local. A sports memorabilia store to yeah. go, you know, find cool stuff, and it's just like that. That is, it, it's what it, you know. What it all, what it makes me wonder about is because I think about, I think about how that hobby, which people were spending, I mean, tons of in, of money to collect and trade and, and invest and all that type of stuff, and I always wonder, like, you know, you you, you jump on StockX today and you look at at a at a Jordan release or something, a sneaker release from a few years ago. And and because supply is so limited now, 
the price of the of of the sneakers has like gone crazy, right? And you you can just kind of like look at, at at that happening. And I I always 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 ask myself like, is this eventually going to crater like other collecting hobbies have? It has like, to. When you is think, there, is there a point that we get to where people are like, no, we just don't care about this anymore, and just everything plummets? <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know. Like, is it because you know, vintage clothing has always kind of had its place. You know, people collecting like vintage designer type type pieces. There, there have always been high end uh, vintage stores and thrift stores like that. So, so that piece of it, because it kind of has the wearable aspect I, I don't maybe it has more longevity than than the card collecting well and, and another thing that is still very much a thing and prices continue to go through the roof is vintage um furniture like that mm-hmm. that piece that i sent you from maxfield six hundred fifty thousand dollars give me a fucking break yeah <laughs> for a desk but it's art though it's art yeah it's art okay and that yeah, there's just certain. I guess there there's more of a market for those kinds of things than than these collector cards. And what do you do with a collect a collectible card? You Ex- put it in a drawer. Yes, exactly. That's. I feel like that is a key difference. Is that with the cards, there's there's nothing to do but keep them. Just like hold on. Hold on to them. Like maybe there, maybe there's something. You know, if you if you have a nice man cave, you can display some of it. I guess. Yeah. But but even with the display stuff, that that you want balls or bats or or jerseys. You know, like the the cards. They're little. They they they. they I don't know, man. It's. It, I just feel like it's another. It's one of. It's one of the many things that millennials just kind of killed. Is like is like this collecting of small things that that have no other use. And you really have to know what it is you're looking at because Rodman had, you know, hundreds of different cards oh, yeah. from every year. So one may be worth two cents and then another one's worth $200. Right. Right. Yeah, Absolutely. You, you have to be in the know. I guess that, that is also kind of applicable to some of this clothing that, you know, vintage clothing, a vintage raft jacket from like 2003 or something. You got to really know what the hell you're looking at to know yes. that that's special. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, it's a fun aside. It's good to think about, but yeah, I'm going to have to, uh, have to get with the parents and and see, see if they can dig up those, those two shoe boxes full (laughs) of of Rodman and Jordan cards. By the way, they still produce the Beckett magazine. So you're in luck. You can check the value. I got to get, I got to get me a fresh Beckett. Wow. (laughs) Um, they, they, there's a lot of talk about Phil Jackson in these. Uh-huh. Um, they, they focus on Phil a lot too, and just kind of his coaching journey, his playing journey. That that is a tall, lanky individual. I've dude, I've never seen somebody just as like thin and lanky and bony and all. He's all shoulders. He's all angles, man. It's really like it's Frankenstein. Funny to, it's funny to see because like people, it, it, it just again, just talking about different eras, it points to an era where like putting on muscle, like purposely building like mass just wasn't a thing that was going on. <laughs> and like, you know? I always remember even when Phil, I mean, he hasn't been out of the league that long, but, and a lot of the players these days still, still get these things, but have you seen on the sideline when they're sitting on the bench, they have these big cushions, these special cushions that they'll put in the like extra tall guys chairs <laughs> yes, so that, yeah. so that their knees aren't like in their face. Uh huh. <laughs> And Phil would always be sitting on one of these like booster seats. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> it just cracked me up. Well, it, he, he's got some pretty great style moments in there too. Um, that, that, you know, even at, not nineties retro, like Rodman's, but like truly like vintage 60s, 70s type, type looks that are, that are fun to see. He was kind of a, uh, well, not kind of, he really was like a, a, a hippie of sorts mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, was very much, he, he, cool thing to see he's very big on like native american uh, and indigenous cultures uh he was famously or famous or is famously a pract like a practicing zen buddhist and man he brought all that stuff to the team as well and like there there yeah. are some videos of them like what it looks like they're like going through yoga uh poses um so that's that's it's fun to see phil's connection to some of that stuff as well he and rick Rude to be connected somehow they're both i mean he's another zen god that uses that to heighten his pupils. 
Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe so. Um, but yeah, God, just last thing on Robin, man, like you, you, you mentioned the cross dressing a little bit, but <laughs> this dude was showing up in like a, in like a wedding dress. Unreal. Uh, you know, and it's like, if, if a guy like Russell Westbrook did something like that today, yeah. we wouldn't really, we probably wouldn't really bat an eye, but if LeBron did, we, we would. Yeah. And so it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy to think that, that even though we knew that this was a kind of a quirky dude, it's, you know, it's damn near 30 years ago and he was willing to take those types of risks. It was great. And it was like so, the biggest story. I'd like, that is one thing I do remember him being that age is that that was a huge story. Him in the, the wedding dress coming down um, in that like horse drawn carriage. Yeah. <laughs> What was he doing? Wasn't there a point to that? He was making yeah, a statement I, about. Yeah, that. I can't remember. I, I they don't really say what the wedding dress was about in the documentary. I'm sure you can. I can't remember if it was like for a magazine or what. But um, yeah, yeah, man, you you got some stuff to look forward to on this last dance. Oh, That's for sure. All right, uh, we can pivot here. So, want to talk about supply chain a little bit? Last week, I mentioned that I had um, that I I got that AMA AMA Leon Dor fleece jacket in. Yeah. And I was having issues with the zipper. So um, I played around with it a bit, tried it on a few more times, and I started doing a little bit of, uh, of, of research to see where I could. Turns out there's a pretty active Reddit thread for AMA. And this was a common problem. A lot of people had this complaint. So I'm, I'm now in touch with customer service, and I'm going to try to try to send this piece back, at the very least for store credit, I hope. But um uh, potentially a refund as well, because this is clearly something that slipped through the cracks, which first and foremost is it's, it's unfortunate. I, I think about how we test everything at Howler and how many samples, how many units we get prior to something going to bulk and how much we play around with all those little details. And we're checking snaps and doing the buttons and messing with the zippers. I mean, we just, you know, we, we boil things down to like, like such nitty gritty detail uh, we, you know, we talk about the differences between a three millimeter and a six millimeter rope cord for a, for a zipper tie. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Like, like mm-hmm. that's, that's, that is how closely we pay attention to the details. And so for a brand like I that, you know, is focused on every little piece being right. That are, they're so aesthetically, you know, driven. If every piece is having that problem, like you'd think they would have caught that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's so that's the that's the piece of this story that 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 kind of got me onto this topic again, because what I saw on the Reddit threads and um and and on Style Forum this happens regularly, even in like the John Elliott uh, conversation as well, is people complaining when things are made in China. Mm-hmm. They automatically use that. As oh well, that piece was made in China, and previously they've been manufacturing in other places, so it must mean that the quality is inferior now because it's made in China. And that 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 is that's just a myth that in 2020 no longer holds any water. Um, so that th- that's really the 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 main thing here is that I want to debunk made in China just inherently being a bad thing for the quality of goods made. Right. And I know that, you know, that's, that's like a connotation that has just kind of been instilled at us from a young age when we, when we knew that like everything plastics and little trinkets and, and just all like all the dumb stuff was all just made in China. Right. Like they were just producing everything yeah. that we had in our, in, in our homes and, 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 um, and, and clothing on top of that. And, we just kind of got into this this habit of of thinking that that meant that it was poorly made because of 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 some of the the horror stories that you've heard about cheap labor in china and and sweatshops over there and and um I'm not saying that that stuff never existed or doesn't still exist. It's just that that stuff can exist anywhere. I promise you that there are some u s factories that you would walk into and wish you hadn't seen yeah 
Mm-hmm. You know, that mm-hmm. just because something is made in Los Angeles does not mean that it's that it's made at the hands of like a bunch of highly paid skilled workers, man. Yeah. I'll, you, you, you would you would be surprised at uh, the fact of the matter is a lot of that stuff that gets made in California is is made. It's all I mean, th- those are those are jobs filled by immigrants that are not very highly paid. And um, and and if certain manufacturers are, are taking advantage of the situation and hiring undocumented workers, that means they don't have to pay the minimum wage either, right? Mm. So it, it's just it's that kind of negative stuff, the stuff that you don't want, can happen anywhere. It can happen in the European countries where they make high end stuff too. Like it's all about how these places are run, and and who is running them, and there can be unsavory people. Um, running unsavory places across the globe. And here's the thing about China. They have been producing an overwhelming amount of the stuff that we import from, you know, from plastics and, and, and just goods uh, right on down to, to fabrics and, and clothing and textiles and all of that. And because they've been doing that for so long, They've gotten really, really good at it. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so they have the workforce of technically skilled workers that know their way around all of the highest end equipment and all of the best sewing machines. And they, they like, they, especially with like a lot of outerwear and technical pieces, China's the only place you want doing that stuff mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they're the only ones that are actually equipped for it. Um, when you're working with stuff like nylons and polys and, and synthetic materials, especially, um, it, it, when, when you, when you get out of like cottons and wools and denims and that type of thing, like that's, that's really what the U S can do is those natural fibers and really, really pretty basic mechanics, uh, and engineering over here, as far as like the sewing and the, uh, and the make goes, you're not going to see a lot of like super detailed tech gear made in the united states right because we just we don't have the workforce and we don't have the the we don't we're not set up to do that and so i know that the japanese culture is the one that sticks out for being literally obsessed with perfection in everything that they do especially when it comes to work because they hold that in such high regard um I would assume that that bleeds over as well into the Chinese um, workforce. And what I mean by that is that they are a communist nation. So that is not great, but it, it it can be great for the fact that they can crack the whip um, on anything that seems to be less than perfect, that they can make sure that they do everything that they can to obsess over that and work way longer than you probably should. And, <laughs> you know, there, there's less, I guess, restrictions on making sure that it is perfect. Yeah. I mean, it, when you say that, though, when you put it in those terms, it still sounds like something bad is happening. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But I, what that, I'm getting at is that the end product, the, the, the product that comes out of those factories is going to be a very high quality garment or whatever you're, you're buying. That is, it's certainly, the, the point here is that there are certainly places in China that, that will get as detailed and as perfectionist as they do in Japan or Italy. Yeah. Now, like you said, like, if you have qualms with the with the amount that the workers in China are paid, that's a different story, right? Like it, the, the, there are the, the 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 number of people at or under the poverty poverty line in China is much higher in China than it is in Western countries, right? Mm-hmm. But you also have to remember that it's a cheaper place to live, and so the the, the wages that that workers in good factories and in good with good manufacturers the wages that they make are are very reasonable living wages right they're making enough money to send back to families and such yeah. mm-hmm. so my 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 broader point here is that you yes there is some there are still some 
places in China, you know, that you call sweatshops where you don't want things coming out of. But the but it, today in 2020, China is actually one of the better places to have clothing made for quality. Now, back to the ALD jacket, like that's not that's not on the production facility. That's on the materials chosen. That's a that's a that's a malfunctioning zipper that they chose. And if they chose a cheap zipper, that has nothing to do with the place that's making mm-hmm. the garment, right? Mm-hmm. That's the fa- that's that's I'm a cheaping out on on their on their cost of goods rather than the cost of labor. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I I poked through my closet before um, you know coming on to talk about all of this. And plenty, there are, there is plenty of, of my, of my more expensive stuff that is made in Italy or, or made in the U S and, you know, I, I do understand the, the comfort that that label provides a little bit. You know, we know that a brand like engineered garments that makes 90% of the stuff in New York, we feel good about that. We, we, we know that, and we see that in the price too, by the way. Uh, that 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 the people making the clothing are 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 paid are compensated fairly and working in in good conditions, right? But it's just it, it's it it still doesn't mean what people think that it means. And just to to extrapolate even further, you can get away with saying that something is made in Italy or made in the U.S. through many different loopholes. Uh-huh. Uh, I can't tell you exactly off the top of my head, like what the percentage of things that need to be put together in those places are, but you can bring in product and material and fabric from anywhere and have a, have a, have them have somebody, a, a, a manufacturer in Italy or us, like add a couple of the details and suddenly you've done enough to say that it was made there. Uh-huh. Right. So mm-hmm. it's just really, it, it's don't look at ex- exclusively at the label and at the country of origin to determine the quality of an item. Yeah, for for that you're just using your eyes and your hands, man, and and mm-hmm. you can typically tell. So, um, you know, kind of a kind of a rant here, I guess, from from me. But well, you've uh, been in the you know, factory. Just, you've seen them. It's it, yes, I have. It's important. It's important to know and the. Look, we, we know China is, is a rapidly growing economy, 2020 pandemic aside, notwithstanding. But uh, it, for those that want really cheap labor and that want to make things very, very cheaply, China is not even where they're going anymore. So if you, if you want something to wring your hands over or if you want labels to look out for, Bangladesh is, is, <laughs> is where... <laughs> low, low, low end goods are being produced. And even India is able to undercut China at this point. Yeah. On, on price. So, um, just be, be aware of that, of that made in China fallacy as you, as you start getting into some of these, these middle tier contemporary brands. Um, you know, and again, like it's, it's one thing if, if Prada starts making 90% of their stuff in China, but for I made a, but for I made a move, a, a bunch of production over there, it's it that's about that's scalability man it just it it makes a lot of sense so it's kind of expected with with uh with a lot of brands like that sure okay um let's talk about some items themselves let's do a little round of hyperheat here phil uh to wrap things up let's start with my front runner for the sneaker of the year the pandemic sneaker of the year it's a nike dunk Probably no surprise. It is a Ben and Jerry's collaboration, and it is called the Chunky Donkey, and it is a wild, wild shoe, complete with tie dye and cow print, and what looks like a, a blue and green grass uh, print, and and just a just a really, really crazy concoction here in this sneaker. And it, I, I don't remember wanting a a, a shoe this bad since like early Yeezy days and Off-White the 10. Like that, th- I'm in that love is, with these two, dude. I think these is, are incredible. That is where this shoe is is finding itself. Wow. Which, which and cool. the tie-dye, the tie-dye piping around the top there, or does yeah. that go all the way in? 
I think it's the lining. I think that I think Ooh. the pipe it's the piping in the lining. Um, Love it. This thing is crazy. Yeah, resell is th- these are hardly available, so resell is of course super high right now. But um, look, man, I'm, I'm obviously going to do my best to try to get these, but it, it, this may be a uh, Laura. I hope you're not listening. This may be a. <laughs> This might be one where I bite the bullet on resale after these release <laughs> if I if I don't if I don't manage to uh, to procure for. Uh, you heard it here first. Here's the thing: we talked about values. We talked about whether this bubble is ever going to pop for the sneaker stuff, but right now it's not. And look, man, at, like look back at the shoes that we thought had crazy resale. And like, how badly do you wish you had pulled tri- had pulled trigger on a pair of Chicago off whites when they yeah. were a thousand bucks? Fuck. What are they at now? Like five k. Oh. <laughs> so it's, and I mean, it, it, and it, that, that's just that's the first shoe that comes to mind. Um, where I was like, well, resale is ju- is just absurd on yeah. this. And I and I'm I would I'm not gonna pay five x what the shoe cost. Well, like I'm, I'm I just pulled it up. The last sale on a size ten of the off white Chicago Jordan one, forty three hundred dollars. Wow. And I mean, like, I mean, this is it, it, this is how this is how this goes now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like these super super sought after shoes like this. They stay high before release, and then they come down once everybody starts getting their pairs and wants to make that quick buck. And then over the next couple of years, as supply diminishes and people hold on to these things and people are buying on that on the, you know that, that first wave of the resale market and people are starting to wear them, in which case they're no longer dead stock and no longer sellable on, on a StockX app or, or, or wherever, that price goes up and up and up and up. Yep. And so... I, I fully expect something like, and uh, look, how many dunks have we laughed at about the price now? Yeah. $25,000 for a pair of Paris, Paris dunks or whatever mm-hmm. they're called. You know, to, to me, these are so much more um, appealing to the eye and much more wearable than, than the Paris, than a lot of those. Um, I know this thing is crazy as far as all the colors that are, that are on here, but they're, it's just so sick. I love them. Yeah. And I love how the, the swoosh is dripping. The dripping Nike swoosh is killer. Yeah. Yeah, man. Everything. Uh, like to, to talk about like when the value can drop and then really crater. And then you're pissed that you went in on the, the resale yes. price is if they re-release. And to me, this is not a candidate for that at all. And to be honest, would- I mean, have we, yeah, we haven't seen hardly any of the dunks re-release. No, the du- they they pretty much don't. So to me, this is for sure heat. Uh, it does have a lot of hype around it, but justifiably. And this is, I totally agree, one hundred percent shoe of the year. Only other candidate that might take it off the throne would be the another Nike collab with Dior um and jordan that 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 shoe might be able to do that just because it's so you know over the top but this one is incredible i love it dude you know in just in comparison the thing about that dior jordan is that you know you know the dior shoes that are out right now that are uh that are they basically look like a converse but they're dior like translucent a little bit yeah uh Mm uh-huh like i'd rather have a pair of those than the than the jordan one and I mean, I, the, the, obviously, the retail price on on those on that that pair of like Dior Converse, I can't. I, the name is slipping my mind right now because uh, I think it's like a model number. I think it's called like a thirteen fourteen or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not easy to remember, but they're expensive as hell. I mean, like retail on them is a thousand dollars, I think. Yeah, but that's you're going to pay way more than that for the Jordan One Dior, and I'd rather just the Dior shoe. Yeah, I agree. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. it's, it's 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 like. The cool piece of the Jordan Dior shoe is the collaboration. It's it is the fact that the that it's the the Dior uh, branding on the Jordan on the most classic Jordan silhouette of all time. 
in comparison, this is so outrageous and unique. And and this is also kind of, it plays into something that that focuses in on like the heritage of the, the Nike uh, SB and Dunk line, which is that they do these really weird collaborations. Mm-hmm. The, the, the Heinekens from the early 2000s. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. There's a 7-Eleven collaboration. Oh, yeah. With, with, I like with, that. Uh, yeah, with Nike Dunk. Like, so that it, the fact that, that this is a, just a kind of an off the wall collaboration that that leads to this really quirky and off the wall, but awesome shoe is just it, to me, it's, it's, it's a little more special than, um, than the Dior branding on, on the Jordan shoe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, okay. In uh, in approachable sneaker news, there is a, there's a new Nike daybreak from Nike's uh, type series, which are kind of like everything. When you see that Nike type, they've kind of done a, done a, a twist on, the, uh, the traditional silhouette of what you're looking at there. And uh, you, you sent these to me, you, you alerted me to these. And as you said, these are a great alternative with a very similar look to the Sakai waffle LDs. Mm-hmm. But that very, that retro runner look with that kind of wedge sole and, uh, and, and almond toe. And um, I, you know, I, I, I wasn't in love when I first looked at the initial release of colorways here. But a couple of them are kind of growing on me. And you, you mentioned that this is probably a shoe that gets several colorways released of it. And I, I do, I can absolutely see that happening. And it's 90 bucks, man. The first two are available on Nike.com already. Exactly. And that's why I think that they'll mass produce this because <clears throat> it is so cheap. And the reason it caught my eye is that it's got the same silhouette as I have them on right now, these Nike Tailwinds. Mm-hmm. And they were, I think they were under 90. Yeah. Um, and I really wish that they would come out with some other colorways in these things and they may have, but, um, they're just so easy to wear. They're so easy to wear the, and a lot, a lot of that is just cause I love, I like, um, the way that they come up on the ankle, they come up a little bit high. It's not that huge dip that, that carves out, you know, the ball of the ankle, like way down. I'm, I, I hate that because I got these little baby legs and, uh, <laughs> And it also has another thing that I've really, you know, love about these old Nikes is that fat tongue. And it has the, uh-huh. the, the pronounced Nike uh, tag at the top of the tongue. I'm, I'm, I love that orange of the swoosh. Um, I'm pretty sure these, these waffles have that too. But all in all, I think this is uh, heat for sure because a very approachable sub 100 bucks um, they'll for sure go on sale everywhere that they get, you know, mm-hmm, stocked. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, they, it goes with a lot and, and, and uh, I anticipate multiple colorways coming out of these. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, uh, there's a special edition, um, of the daybreak. That's, that's not this type, um, version, but just a new colorway. It's called the Topaz gold, kind of a, almost a USC looking colorway. Kind of a dark burgundy with a with a goldish tan, um, and I'm I'm reading it, it looks very good too, and I'm reading about it, and it's the 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 Daybreak first released in 1979 alongside the similarly shaped Tailwind, one of Nike's most classic running silhouettes. Mm-hmm. So the comparison is absolutely valid. These are these are two of kind of Nike's OG runners, and um, they they look like retro run, running shoes because they are in fact retro running shoes. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine running in these things. Yeah, yeah, oh I did, but uh, hey, they sure did. They sure did it. Yikes. Prefontaine, right? Yeah, I love the t- uh, when for Nike or whoever was auctioning off those original Nike runners, uh, like the first shoe they ever produced for mm-hmm. whatever, like a million bucks. Everybody was just trashing them online, and it was it's because they're, they're fucking hideous, and I just can't imagine running in that material. It's terrible. Yeah. Um, so be on the lookout for those. Good summer shoe, good vintage runner. Like you said, goes with a lot. Uh, we'll kind of we'll turn it a little bit here, and uh, and exit the sneaker talk, but introduce some loafer talk. The second wave, the second uh, batch of. I'm a Leon Doors Penny Loafers has arrived today in four colorways, a white, a navy, a gold, a goldish yellow, and a brown. And these were very, these were hot in the streets on the first release last year. And so pretty anticipated. 
uh, drop here of, of, of loafers. And, and we know that, that this has kind of been a wave that people are riding as, uh, as you look for alternatives to sneakers. Um, very, very interesting selection of colors to me. Teddy Santis over there, man, I think he usually really color is, is one of his best is one of his fortes. It's one of his, his, his strengths. And, 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 uh, and the selection here is just is interesting to me because it doesn't feel very wearable. Um, I, I can see some guys pulling off the white. The brown is obviously a classic, but the, the yellow is just really, really loud. And I cannot imagine it being pulled off very well. Yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, I don't like any of these um, that much, but the brown is the most, um, I guess, wearable and yeah, yeah, eye-catching. I just don't like loafers. That's my problem. And I'm a yeah. hater. I know I'm a right. hater on loafers, but I, I don't know. I just don't like them, but these are, these are okay. I mean, you see them with, uh, I like it when guys, some people can pull these off with, with some cool socks mm-hmm. um, or even, you know, white tube socks yes. work for some of these. Yeah. Um, well, I, I've got, I've fielded a couple of questions about how to kind of pull off this modern loafer trend. And so yeah. I've, I actually, j- right before the podcast, I was putting together some pictures kind of encapsulating the, the, the look that I envision when I talk about how you want to wear the, this, this new penny loafer in like a very modern fit. And so um, we we did talk about this just very briefly on a, on a previous episode, so I'll just hit it again. But two things here. I really like the penny loafer with denim right now, but the denim is is very much like it, it's not a it's 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 almost like an anti fit denim. It's kind of like the mom jean for dudes is the best way to describe it. Mm-hmm. There's a Levi's silhouette out right now called a five hundred one ninety three, and it's the it's apparently it's it's a tweaked version of the of the 501s that and how they were um how they were cut in 1993 and that that's kind of like the i think that is the closest to to what i'm picturing but what i think a lot of guys that are pulling this off really well are doing is just finding vintage jeans and even if you just cuff them or if you just cut them off and raw hem them the the key here is that they are not fitting you tight anywhere so it's 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 very much not a skinny jean look. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're gonna look too much like uh, too much like uh, like Michael Jackson if it's too skinny or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you, you kind of want this anti fit jean with a, with a with a stovepipe straight leg, kind of cropped is ideal. And you're you're going for that that more '90s kind of vibe there mm-hmm. with that. Uh, and then as far as pants, again, it, the, the key is really you just want, whether it's the print or the cut of the pants, would I, you know, when I, when I, when I picture myself doing this, here, here's what I don't want. I don't want to put on pants with these penny loafers, where if I were to put on like a white or blue button down shirt, I would suddenly look very appropriate for a conservative business casual meeting. That's the problem. That's what I, that is what I do not want. Correct. So if you're put, if you're, if you're planning on, you know, grabbing like a pair of bass regions and like a, one of the, the cool black and white colorway, or, uh, there's a new Fred Perry collaboration with bass that has some really good kind of that chunkier soul, which I know you're into mm-hmm. and, uh, some cool colorways like a bottle green and a dark red. A couple of them have like the kilt and the, uh, the kilty and the tassels. Those are really cool. Check those out. Um, but you know whether you, whether you're grabbing those or a pair of these funky Ames or um, you know Rude is going to be releasing a, a pair of pe- a couple of different pairs of pennies that look awesome or if you're all the way to the you know to the Gucci Grails that what you do not want it, it, you want them to look like you are getting a kit off here and I know that's kind of like counterintuitive to just like looking casual but. Otherwise, if you don't do that, if you don't put them together with something that is kind of paradoxical, that kind of shouldn't make sense with loafers, then you're going to look like you're an accountant running up to Ernst and Young, having a meeting with your attorneys from Baker Box. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
So mm-hmm. that, that's, that's kind of what I, what I started thinking about here is like, well, you know, like if I, if, you know, if I grab this pair of Navy chinos and I pair them with brown penny loafers, I'm, I'm half, I'm halfway there. I'm halfway to, to. You're to halfway like, to the boardroom. I'm halfway to the boardroom and that's yeah. not what I want. Um, now to that end, I, th- there is, there was a growing movement last year of dudes putting these types of loafers together with sport shorts. And by that, I mean like Stussy water shorts or Patagonia baggies or th- th- things of that ilk. Th- that that's too far to me. Yeah, dude. Those two things are, are so uh, the, the, my vocabulary is, is failing me at the moment, but you have a great vocabulary, but those two, those two things are so far on, on different spectrums. Like they, they, that their pairing doesn't work even in a subversive way. If if you see it, it it just, it looks, it looks like you're going to the pool and the loafers are the only pair of shoes that you could find. Yeah. And you, and, and they weren't going to let you in without having shoes on. Yeah, I, that's that's a good way to put it. Like that's that's what I that's that's what I picture when it, you know when I see like the baggies with the loafers. It's not. Yeah, it's I just, just picture somebody coming out of a dorm room, and that's the yeah. only shoes that they could find. That's that's trying a little too hard to like put a cool spin on a kind of stuffy prep staple, basically. Right. Um, but look out on the Instagram at Club Cool Pot. I, I did find a few pictures of 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 kits and of specifically of the fit of the pants that I like with this, with this modern loafer um, trend. So uh, at club cool pod and Phil, unless you have any further comments on loafers or chunky donkeys or Dennis Rodman or things that are made in China, that's all we got today. I really hope um, that somebody associated with this podcast ends up with those dunks. I, I, whether I it's hope, on the retail the market or aftermarket, I want to see somebody with them. I, yeah, yeah. Yes. As do I, as do I, um, you well, hope it's you. I do hope it's me. I do hope it's me, but I hope, I hope, I hope good things for you too, Phil. Let's both get them. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I got those zebras that time. Never forget. You did. You did. You did. And and you, you hit a lick on those too. And I see, did hit a lick and you, those got re-released. And those got re-released multiple times or they've been, <laughs> they've been uh, or they're going to get re-released yeah. again. Uh-huh. That's a bummer for whoever bought those from me. Yes. Yeah. Hey, um, last thing, no sponsors today, uh, but be sure to support our ongoing sponsors like Raycon. I've been loving my Raycon earbuds. The link for that is buyraycon.com slash clubpool for 15% off of your order there. If you need some new Bluetooth Bluetooth headphones, look no further. Hawthorne, obviously, get yourself that Palo Santo candle. Get yourself some new eucalyptus deodorant. Our, co- our code is cool there. And then you can support the podcast directly at patreon.com slash clubcool. Last month, we put out a nice editorial of all the things that are keeping us sane at the crib right now. I think it was very well received and, um, you know, I hope you found something interesting in there. We'll obviously be doing something similar for May, maybe even twice. Who knows? We've got a little extra time on our hands. Phil. Oh, Phil, are you watching Dave by the way? Probably not. You don't, you don't, Mm-mm. you don't mess around with Hulu, right? No. Lot of, lot of recommendations for Dave. It's apparently okay. it's a good, it's a good club. Cool fit. Um, so I'll check it out something to pay attention to. And, uh, there, there, there are some, there are some funny style moments there too. Dave is like a very classic white guy that sort of cares about fashion, but like not really. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, uh, it's, it's, it's just it's enough. Pretty, yeah. Just enough. It's pretty fun to watch. Um, it's also just weird and, and, and hilarious. Okay. So, uh, so maybe we'll get some Dave talk going here. Next week. Again, we have the law con from a blog to watch. Hit us with your questions. And, uh, really excited for that talk. That's that's going to be great. It's going to be fun to mix it up here and, and have a guest for the first time in a while. That'll do it for us today here. Club Cool Podcast. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, at Barrett Dudley. Phil's uh, on Instagram, at P the Tag. And you can see uh, you know what we're, what we're doing here on the lockdown. Although Austin, Texas, 
we're slowly opening back up here. We'll see. Uh, we'll see how mm. that goes. Hopefully, it's not a total disaster. Uh, anyway, man, everybody have a safe weekend. That'll do it. We'll see y'all next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.